Hello, my name is John Hendren, and you're listening to BachCast, episode number 45. So in this episode, we're looking at Bach's first French suite, and I won't go into a lot of detail about the collection. Just know up front that we probably, these labels we apply to the suites really don't have a lot to say about the suites. They're probably not used in Bach's time, but they are what I call, along with the English suites, sort of the minor suites of Bach, um, and we could even go one step below that, and he's written some miniature pieces as well. Um, some of these appear in the uh, notebook for Anna Magdalena Bach, which was Bach's second wife. And I, I tend to think of these pieces not as, you know, you, you would never expect to have heard them in Bach's time in a large setting, whether it be a church or, you know, an opera an opera house or something. You know, you can hear a, a, someone like Bach coming out on a large harpsichord and performing these. Um, but the recordings that we get today tend to be, you know, where we go to see these performed. It will be in a concert hall, right? We're changing the context. So when we think about these pieces, I want you to think about them sort of more intimate pieces, pieces that would have been created and enjoyed perhaps in the household, Bach's household, to teach his wife or his sons how to compose or how to perform. And they have a very pragmatic air to them. They are modeled after keyboard suites in the French style, as, as I think all of Bach's keyboard suites are uh, to a large extent for the harpsichord. He's using uh, French names for the dances, Allemande, Courante, Sarabande. Um, and this particular one is a, f- is a five movement uh, piece. Uh, there's, a, there's a dual set of minuets, which is typical. Uh, the whole suite is set in the key of D minor. And the first recording we heard was on Modern Piano from a release that just came out this year by Vladimir Ashkenazi, the very famous pianist and conductor. This recording came out on Decca, and I spent some time with it. I, I listened to it, and I, I ultimately decided it was not my favorite. But as I started to sort of stack up the different recordings I have access to of Box French Suites, I noticed a lot of diversity in the approach, and I want to point some of those out to you today. So... I'm going to start with the first movement, the Allemande. And since I was just in the Ashkenazi, I'm going to give you Ashkenazi again on the piano. And I want you to compare uh, the approach that these different musicians have to the opening movement to this. An Allemande, of course, is a is a slower dance. It's not the slowest. It's not like a Sarabande. But an Allemande is more of a stately dance, if you will. The Courant's tend to be the, the faster ones. And minuets. Minuets were uh, a dance in three. We have some examples in the French suites of things called airs. Um, Bach is also using gavats uh, and a bourre. Uh, in, the, in the sixth suite, he also includes a dance called the polonaise. Um, we already have a allure, a bourre. So, there's some different dances, but in this first one we have Allemande, Courante, Sarabande, two minuets, and the jig. Jig is typically you know, the faster kind of jaunty jaunty piece at the end. And interesting to me, not all the performers treat it as a sort of jaunty ending. So 
Uh, we're going to start with the Allemande. So the first, the first pianist uh, we heard again was Vladimir Ashkenazi. I really struggled with that interpretation with in terms of phrasing. It felt like this phrase just kept on going, and I was, you know, I think of my my own past as playing an instrument with wind, and just where do I breathe? Like it's this this long phrase. It's like where do I get to take a breath? Where are there where are the nuances of a phrase? And I contrasted that with Glenn Gould, who ups the tempo, and he ups the tempo to, to like ludicrous speed because I think it's way too fast for an Allemand dance. However, what emerges from his performance is, is sort of natural phrasing. He he articulates and gives just enough nuance that we feel like there's there's breathing spots. There's these we can feel sort of or even experience. I, I would loosely say see, but we sort of feel phrases come together in, in Gould's performance. And so I, I like it better. I also like that tightness of his, of his technique. Um, it's, it's, he's, he's playing purposely short. We believe he did that because he was trying to emulate the sound in many cases of a harpsichord. Don't need to, I don't think so, but I kind of like the technique. I like the fact that Gould pushed us in, uh, new directions of thinking about music and, and performance and sort of was uh, one that was pushing boundaries. And in this case, I think it works. I, I like his opening Allemande. Now, what happens when we compare to uh, recordings on harpsichord?
was kind of interesting, wasn't it? Um, what I hope you heard, which is what I hear here, is that there's some similarity between the, the three in terms of tempo. First was Keith Jarrett on harpsichord, the jazz uh, musician, uh, who's most famous for jazz, but has also recorded some Bach. Um, we got second, uh, Blandine Renault. I've sampled from her recordings before. This is her rendition of the first French Suite Allemande. Again, slow. And then the third one, um, which is my favorite of the openings on harpsichord, um, is uh, sort of a new performer for me. Um, his name is Ignacio Prego, and his recording comes on the Cantus label. And I don't have, it appears that this recording came out in 2014. Uh, it's a it's a pretty album cover, blue with a like a seashell on it. Um, and what I hear is this contrast to the Gould, and I think these are all uh, solutions to a problem. And the problem is how do we take these long phrases that Bach has done? And there's two levels to look at it. There's sort of the micro view getting in very close and I think the harpsichords all are, are trying to do that and I think Prego is the most successful at it in, in terms of making phrases out of the little gestures that we hear and and Bach is sort of bookending those gestures with, with little ornaments and that is a level at which we can hear phrases and it, it seems to me that that's probably the most uh, smart approach to things because an allemande is not a fast dance and so they take this at a moderate tempo we hear those phrases and when we hear the the little bits of space in between those gestures especially so in the right hand and then we get some punctuation also in the left with some um, ornaments some turns and whatnot uh, it tends to make some phrases out of things which for me was missing in the Ashkenazi piece the Ashkenazi piece was just this like never-ending cascade of, of, of notes. In the Gould, we get the opposite approach in that we're not looking at that sort of small phrase view, but we're looking at the large phrase view. And so by Gould compressing time and, and playing it much faster, we sort of get the larger phrase view in Bach. And that makes sense too. And so I think both are, are interesting solutions to how to find phrases in this opening allemand, which... Bach challenges us with. Um, the next movement is a courant. Courant is tendly, uh, tends to be a, a little bit faster dance, and if uh, it's in Italian, it's called the corrente. <laughs> Both those performances work, but in the first, which is again is Mr. Prego, um, I feel like he's doing the same technique that he applied in the first movement, which is consistency is good, but he's sort of he's sort of compartmentalizing those phrases with with a little bit of space, um, as much as the way he did with the 
the opening Allemande. With Blandine Renault, our second example, it seems to me she's taking more of the spirit of the name of this movement, a corrente, a courant, sort of this idea of a sort of a running, and it is not sort of separating things at the micro level quite. He's, she's letting that run of notes go, and for me, this in this movement that works. Again, different approaches. You may prefer one over the other, but in, in this case, I would nod my head over to the performance by Blandine Renault. Um, the third movement in the suite is a Sarabon. I'm going to skip that for right now. Um, and to me, some of the more interesting treatments are happening in the menuets. So I'm going to start with um, Blandine Renault's uh, treatment of the menuets. There are two of them, and one of the things you'll find in recordings is sometimes they 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 put them together. They they it's one track, and you get both dances. In other renditions, it looks like a six-movement work because uh, they separate them out in the tracks. I like when they separate out because it's easier to access the different pieces, but really they're meant to be heard as a binary pair. And uh, I'll, I'll let you sort of have an extended listen here to Blandine Renault's um, minuets from Bach's first French suite. Blandine Renault, and now we're listening to Ignacio Prego. And one of the big things you're going to hear is the speed difference, right? So a minuet is a, is a dance in three, and to my ears, uh, Renault is, is just kind of blasting through them, which surprises me. It works, I think, musically. I'm not criticizing it because I, I like it, but I wanted you to hear the contrast. And then after we listen to a little bit of Mr. Prego, I'm going to switch to Glenn Gould, and you can appreciate there what he does with tempo.
So Gould slows things down even more, uh, sort of milking uh, those gestures and really putting emphasis on it, all the while being very metrically um, secure. Uh, he's, I mean, it's it's like military precision there with, with tempo, uh, which for me is an extremely pleasant uh, experience to listen to. I, I like it. But you can see that... Um, there's a lot of diversity here amongst ways to approach this music. And it doesn't always follow on a historical versus non-historical context. Um, these are performers. And I, I do give credit to those trying to perform this on an instrument germane to Bach, the harpsichord. Although, as I've said, it may be even in a more appropriate instrument to have a clavichord or a uh, just a simpler harpsichord. I mean, one of the things that I don't know if you noticed in the Rano, uh minuets is when she switches from the first minuet to the second, she changes the registration of the instrument, which is, a, is just saying it's a very luxurious option to have when you have an instrument with multiple keyboards and multiple stops, and you can uh, adjust the tone color there. And, of course, there's Glenn Gould, who is adjusting color as well with his articulation on the modern piano, which gives you even more options, I think, um, because of the nature of the piano. Uh, we're going to finish this by listening to some samples of the final jig. And again, uh, tempo is something that gets played with a lot here. And I'm just going to give you an idea of, uh, this is a little easier to do with this piece. Uh, Glenn Gould, who if you are familiar at all with his recordings of uh, the Goldberg Variations, was a speed demon. Not always. He didn't always play everything fast, but he definitely pushed the boundaries in terms of speed um, that I think pushed Bach's music to some limits, and I think Bach ends up winning because I think his solutions just seem to work, despite the fact that they're very much out of context. But... But Gould's jig rolls in around 2 minutes, 7 seconds. Um, Keith Jarrett's jig runs in at 3 minutes, 6 seconds. So he's, he's a little slower than Glenn Gould. Uh, Mr. Prego's um, jig rolls in at 4 minutes and 6 seconds. And Ashkenazi's... Uh, jig rolls in at three minutes. So we have a couple at three minutes. We have um, we have some variations there. Uh, we'll listen first to Blandine Renault, who is at three minutes. And uh, I'll, I'll play the three-minute ones one after the other so you can just get an approach. Here's a very similar tempo and see if you can pick up variations in the performance.
So to review again, we heard Blandine Renault first, we heard Keith Jarrett second, and we heard Vladimir Ashkenazi third in the jig. And what an interesting little piece this is. It's very uh, angular. It's almost, uh, you, if you push it to the extreme perhaps, um, it would almost sound non-Baroque. It would sound starkly modern, uh, contemporary perhaps. Um, we could even imagine that rhythm being uh, used with maybe an atonal sequence and have a very, uh, um, you know, Schoenberg-esque or Al- Albenberg-type uh, uh, piece maybe for the piano. Um, harking back to an, an older style perhaps, maybe I'm going too far, but it's it's a very um, interesting piece because it has these these dotted rhythms. And the performers are each despite the fact that they've picked very similar tempi, um, they're, they're trying to, to reconcile the, the, um, that, that rhythm that's a, a, a French curse, if you will, because there's some disagreement about how to perform those dotted rhythms. And Blandine Renault, to me, comes up with a very interesting... She's, she's pushing uh, the dot almost to its limit, to the next note, and um, that that is one interpretive decision. When when that bass comes in towards the end of the phrase, though, she she does it in this sort of jaunty way, which um, speaks to me of the flavor of what I think of as a jig, something that you would you know, it's sort of a jaunty dance, and it, it comes in at a very uh, in, in an interesting way, um, unexpected perhaps against that very angular rhythmic precision that she starts with. When we look at uh, Keith Jarrett, he's um, he's doing some of the same, I think. Uh, however, it's not quite as tight. And to me, his is sort of the middle-of-the-road approach. It works. Uh, he does not give us the, the jaunty version in the left hand. And then we get Vladimir Ashkenazi, who seems to lack that that precision and in some ways it's it's somewhat refreshing because we're not sort of locked into a machine but there's also part of it to me that um you know does it want to be tighter i don't know when his bass comes in we sort of lose that vitality and it's it's one of the reasons why it's probably not my my favorite rendition of 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 the jig uh just to, to conclude uh, I want to give you um, the version that Glenn Gould produces um, because it is a full minute faster and see if you like that solution. Despite shaving a minute off uh, of the recording, Gould, uh, Gould's approach is, um, it has that rhythmic certainty that we got with Blandine Renault. It um, 
however, loses that, that pushing of the dot all the way to the edge. And so it feels a little more relaxed to me. Um, it also doesn't have that tightness and shortness that we heard in uh, Gould's other performance. Uh, it's, it, it gives some length to the notes, which I think feels natural. I, I like Gould's performance here. I think it's a nice compromise, if you will, uh, from some of the extremes that we've heard. And so, Box French Suites. Some interesting themes that he has going on. Certainly there's uh, some richness in these pieces. But the one thing I want to illustrate is that you might not be happy with just one performance of these works. Uh, there are certainly some historically informed performers out there performing on uh, original instruments, if you will, or copies thereof. And they typically apply a um, historically minded approach. But even so, we've compared a few today and their approaches are uh, not in lockstep, which means that for us enjoying box music, there are lots of examples. The French suites just tend more so than I think some of the others to give us those variations um, and opportunities to hear different solutions to some of the issues. And I, um, while I have my preferences here and there, what's really nice is that we have the opportunity to compare. And in that comparison, in that uh, looking into the details, I think we reveal some of the things that make box music interesting. You know, how do we interpret some rhythms? How do we, uh, are we a slave to the idea that somebody has to dance to this piece? Or are we adopting a tempo that just feels more natural? Uh, these are all the things that performers have to grapple with as they perform this music. And I think these are, all these examples have something to offer the listener. I've given you some of my examples, some of my favorites, maybe some that weren't as my favorites. But if you go to bieberfan.org, that's my website, There'll be show notes and links to these recordings, so if you want to check them out in full, uh, you certainly have the opportunity to do so. I want to thank you for listening to yet another episode of BachCast. This is episode 45. There are 44 that precede this, and you can get them all at bieberfan.org. That's B-I-B-E-R-F-A-N dot O-R-G.